What's up, everyone? Welcome into another edition of the Round 6 Recap. We didn't have a podcast on Friday before UFC 282, but we felt like it was only right to come on here and kind of break down everything that happened on the card because there is so much to unpack. We could go on for hours talking about the card and uh, and everything that happened, all the controversy, all the great things that we saw on Saturday. But nonetheless, it was a great card. Quick programming note, can't really figure out what the deal is with our logo up here. So until further notice, this is a pro-Ukraine podcast. It is always a pro-Ukraine podcast, but now more than ever. So with that being said, Jake, I, I don't think I can think of a card in recent memory where there's so much to unpack. Um, yeah. Not not even the card itself, what happened after the card with what Dana said uh, in the post-fight press conference. But let's just kind of start at the bottom of the card and work our way up. So we saw a lot of great fights. I think this card was trending more than a lot of other cards to end up as uh, the card of the year, if not one of the best cards that, that I've ever watched. Um, tons of finishes. We didn't go to a judge's scorecard until main, uh, the main card started, and that became the source of a lot of controversy. But let's kind of start at the bottom of the card, right? So uh, Cameron Simon came out, started things off hot, uh, 21 years old out of South Africa um, in the Bantamweight division. And, you know, we had that crazy parlay that we put out where he was the first leg. And he had a decent first round, kind of got held down a little bit, comes out in the second round, is fighting a great round, and then throws an illegal knee that I thought was going to completely derail us for the rest of the night. It would have absolutely ruined my night for that parlay to go down on the first leg but then, <laughs> on the first one yeah Ugh. but you you texted me during that third round or like right when it started and you said we need a finish here and you're absolutely right because you got a point taken away for that illegal knee and what does cameron simon do he comes out lays on the pressure and he gets a finish like what a start to the night for the kid yeah i mean that was absolutely huge i we had no chance of winning that fight especially after no. the point was taken like he i assume the corner work more than likely informed him of that as well, saying something of the sort like, you need to finish at this point. Like, there's no chance we're going to take home the decision. But, I mean, yeah, like you said, if we started out at the night with our minus 310 in the parlay as a loss, I mean, that would have just been terrible, especially seeing us just stack up win after win after win after that, through the prelims, I should say, at least. But, yeah, oh well, and you've got to think, like, uh, at least for me personally, I'm always nervous putting a bet down on a fighter who's making their UFC debut because, mm -hmm. like, I bet there's like stepping into that octagon for the first time, especially on a numbered event. Like, there's got to be a lot of jitters. You have to be nervous. There's just like, there's no way you're not. Even if you're cool as a cucumber in the rest of your life, if there's one fight that you're going to be nervous for, it's making your debut on a numbered UFC event. Oh yeah. Um, and I don't think I, we necessarily saw a ton of those jitters come out. Um, but you can't tell me that he wasn't, you know, really trying to do well in that second round, felt like he was fighting a good round and then just, you know, kind of out of a lack of caution throws that illegal knee. And I thought we were buried. I, I was on my way to, to some of our friends house to watch that fight card. And mm -hmm. like, I was sulking for probably five or 10 minutes when that was going on because I thought we were dead. I thought we were dead in the water. The first about minute or two of that, uh, I guess you'd call it like wait time, healing time, whatever, stoppage, whatever. Mm -hmm. I didn't think they were going to continue the fight. I thought they were going to call it. It was looking like it was trending towards an Aljamain Sterling Oscar winning performance for this fight can't continue anymore from yep. a knee that you take 50 times during the fight anyway. But that's neither here nor there. He continued the fight and we got the finish. 
yeah, I mean, it, it was a great turnaround. Like I was, uh, I had that, the card pulled up on my phone watching the prelims and watching that fight when I was in the car. And when he got that finish, I was I literally started screaming because oh, yeah. like we had, it was a, a crazy parlay. It was like plus 64,000. And, and even though there's not a great chance you hit that nine legs later, like just to, to, to get that first one out of the way was a win, especially the way that it happened. Mm-hmm. So great fight all around. I think Cameron Simon is uh, going to end up being a really big star in this company, but um, it, it was good to see him get that first win, especially, you know, with all the circumstances around it, making his UFC debut, we have him in a parlay and he gets the job done. It wasn't pretty. My heart rate was probably like over 200, but it worked. Fine. So, yeah, we got it though. Yes. You can't then, be too mad about it. Then a little later in the early prelims, our hammer does it easy money too. I mean, Billy Q he was bloody, but I, I would still say it makes it look pretty easy. The cardio is just unmatched in that division, I think. Like Billy Q can he's kinda he's a quiet Colby Covington. He just he doesn't mm-hmm. have to talk to him, so he's not kind of really a big star or anything. But I mean that that dude just goes for days. He takes damage, but if you don't put him away in round one, maybe early round two, like you're you're stuck with a pretty a pretty shitty last few rounds. He might just finish you in those last two. Yeah, and, and he proved just that on Saturday. He took a ton of damage uh, from a guy that you and I had all but written off when we were making our bets for this fight card. You 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 know, I think you probably brought it up first, and and I agreed with you. But we both thought Alexander Hernandez was trending down in the worst of ways. Mm-hmm. And we, we just didn't think that there was any way he was going to be in that fight. He was in that fight for the majority of the time it went on. And then Billy Q. Looked just, good for a little. Yeah, but Billy Q just stayed in there, chipped away, got some work done, and then found a finish. I mean, it's yeah, you what got to put him away. You, yeah. you got to put Billy Q away, or he's just going to keep that pressure coming. He's just going to put it on even more as the rounds go on. And it's people melt under that. Like his knockouts are usually from guys just melting to the pressure. Like, how is this guy still coming at me right now, basically? Yeah, and a lot of times in fights like that, when, when the guy who's losing the fight gets a finish, they don't necessarily take a lot of damage. Their opponent's probably up on the, the scorecards more so than anything else. But Billy Q was beaten and battered. Like, the, some oh, of the yeah. elbows that Hernandez landed, I mean, he was busted open, he was bleeding all over the place, and it, it just was nothing for him. It, was like, it felt yeah, like no, no adversity in that fight was going to be too much for Billy Q. He landed that one in the closed guard and just absolutely split. Like, you knew he was going to get split open. You watch that elbow connect, and you're like, okay, give him 40 seconds, and he's going to be just covered in blood. And he looked, yeah, just drenched in blood. Yeah, but again, it wasn't pretty for us. I I would be lying if I said I wasn't nervous about that leg of the parlay. But again, he gets it done. I would say most of our wins, other than Jorginho Rosenstrike, on that parlay in the first seven, none of them were pretty. Like no. none of them, none of them were easy wins. Chris Curtis, terrifying as we're moving on to next. Like that was not an easy win for us at all. That was another, we need a finish here or this is not going to end our way. Yeah. And, and to bring up Chris Curtis, I mean, what a call from, I think you were the one originally that said, I like Chris Curtis in this one. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and we rode with it, but what a call, like, uh, coming into that fight as an underdog, I feel like a lot of times he's a guy that gets slept on. But the 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 technique, like his his, his boxing, is so crisp, 
And I, I think for me, the story of Chris Curtis, a lot of times, it's kind of one of those cliche sayings that applies to a lot of sports. But, you know, they say the best offense is a good defense. And for Chris Curtis on Saturday, that could not have been closer oh, yeah. to the truth. Like, Joaquin Buckley, big dude, imposing figure. Uh, you know he's going to come out with, mm. you know, all of his power in tow and try to put you away. But even though Joaquin Buckley was throwing a crazy volume of strikes, I think at one point they said he was on pace to throw over 300 Yeah, strikes. that was – There, was, there wasn't a lot getting through. Like, yes, he landed some shots. But if you go back and watch it, Chris Curtis has such a high guard mm-hmm. that – all of those shots were glancing off and Curtis was just doing what he had to do until Buckley had kind of wore himself out a little bit. And then Chris Curtis lands a crazy left after he catches a kick. Like, like, like not only does he have Chris boxing, but like to catch a kick from a guy like Joaquin Buckley and then counter it speaks volumes about your ability as a striker all around. Yeah. Chris Curtis didn't shock me whatsoever. Like that was as expected. That's what I, I thought. Joaquin Buckley on the other hand, he shocked me a lot. I didn't expect him to be that good. He was throwing just an enormous. Like I expected him to have power and be coming for the knockout, but he was throwing just an enormous amount of just like or enormous volume of strikes. I should say, just so many. He just kept the pressure on, and I it didn't look like it was going to wilt for a while. But like you said, Chris Curtis saw his opening to come with the offense, put it on him, and. We got it, but I mean, Joaquin Buckley was scaring me. I was that was another one we desperately needed the finish. Yeah, and I, I should have uploaded it. I didn't think about it until just now, but uh, I can't. I think it was it might have been Verdict, uh, Verdict MMA that posted uh, this picture. But there's a picture of Joaquin Buckley on his back right after Curtis lands that left, and Joaquin Buckley is like curled up on the ground. He looks like like his face looks like he just got ran over by a truck, like. Chris Curtis has a lot of power. Like, he's a stocky mm-hmm. dude, but, you, like, to, to land a shot like that on a guy as big as Joaquin Buckley and put him out the way that he did, like, Chris Curtis, like, the sky's the limit for him at this point. He's he's shown a lot in his last couple fights. Yeah, he just needs to really be able to just put it together when, the, like, when it's a little bigger stage. Yeah. He blew it in yeah. the last one, but, I mean, he, he's got all the ability. I agree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then let's jump up a little bit further. Obviously, we saw some great stuff from Edmund Shabazian. Good to see him back in the win column. But let's talk about Jarzinho Rosenstroik and Chris Dawkins. Mm-hmm. I mean, good Lord. I, I think a lot of people were on Rosenstroik on this one just because of his power. And Dawkins is kind of trending down when he's going up against, like, really heavy-handed strikers as of late. Um, but if you told me that this fight was going to be done in 23 seconds, like, it, it wouldn't have necessarily surprised me. But I would have just been like, whoa. Yeah, but, exactly. Like, Rosenstroik comes out, lands some good shots, has Dawkins on the ropes, and then the shot that he lands to, you know, he didn't knock him out clean, but more or less, like, get him from, you know, within an inch of being knocked out, basically. That shot was crazy. And, like, Dawkins just, like, like he never had a chance to be in that fight. Rosenstroik just had him dead to rights from, like, the very first go. Yeah, like, I was a little bit high on Dawkins, up until seeing these last two fights. I just, he doesn't, he seems like he should probably at this point, like be losing weight, be trying to move yep. to the least light heavyweight possibly. Like he's, I, I just don't think he can compete with these like massive heavy handed heavyweights. Like he's just, he's not like a Tom Aspinall. Like he's not this, this freak athlete that can move around and, and do all this stuff that a lot of the heavyweights can't. And that's where he, 
he imposes as well. He's just he's not that great of a heavyweight, and I don't think he should even be in the division. Like I, I really don't. No, and, and you you beat me to the point on uh, something that I was actually going to bring up too. I can't remember who said it, but it was someone. It might have been Derek Lewis. Uh, I, I can't exactly remember. But it was someone right after fighting Chris Dawkins. They asked him about Dawkins, and uh, they brought up a really good point that, especially after this weekend, uh, makes a lot of sense. But whoever it was said, "Just because you're 240 pounds doesn't mean you're a heavyweight." And if you think about it, that's so true. Like um, you, you brought up a good point about you know Aspinall, and uh, there's other guys like Cyril Gaon. Even though Cyril Gaon's huge, but Cyril Gaon weight-wise is not necessarily topping out the scales in the heavyweight division. But unless you're one of those freak athletes that can get away with being 240-ish, 235, 240, I think Stipe in his, his prime fits into this equation somewhere. Um, but I, we're almost seeing like a new generation of heavyweights come along where guys are cutting weight to get to 265, but they're just as quick, they're just as agile as some of the guys yeah. that are a lot lighter, but they have right. that extra power from being probably 270 plus on fight night um so yeah i i really think doc is like uh it's it's a big ask i'm sure it's not easy to go from 240 pounds all the way down to 205 and make that weight but here's a little bit of something to think about that i brought up to uh to some of our friends on saturday uh if you think about that weight gap right so doc is weighed in at like 241 ish i think mm-hmm. 241 242 alex Pereira makes 185 pounds on on weigh-in day when he steps into the octagon on fight night, and especially when he's walking around between camps, he's 220 pounds. Easily. There's yeah. only a, like, let that sink in. There's only a 20 pound difference between the middleweight champ, Alex Pereira, and Chris Dawkins, who fights at heavyweight. Yeah. So you got to think if Dawkins moves down to 205, like, it, it, theoretically, it's in his reach. And if he moves down to 205, he's going to have so much power. And he's going to be fighting guys like Jan and um, some of your. Uh, I don't want to say smaller guys because Jan's massive, but like, like you're going to have a weight advantage now instead of always being the guy that is at a weight disadvantage. And I think that would be beneficial for him. And honestly, he wouldn't be that. I'm looking him up right now. He wouldn't even be that big of a light heavyweight. He's only six foot two. Right, but from a weight perspective, because he yeah, can he, cut to two hundred five and end up being not. Yeah, he just. Like, I mean, he just should really just be losing weight and be almost doing kind of the uh, Jared Cannonier strategy. Like, he could easily fight at middleweight. Easily. One would think. I mean, it's it's possible, yeah. Yeah, with his body type, easily, for sure. He's big. Like, he's just overweight, honestly. There's nothing else to it looking at him. Yeah, and you you kind of have to wonder, like, is a move like that in the cards for him? Is that something that him and his camp have, have, have thought about in the past? I'm and maybe sure they've just talked time? about it. You, you've got to think they have, right? Like, especially if uh, you keep going up against these guys that are so much bigger than you and you're consistently getting steamrolled. Like, Curtis Blade steamrolled him. Derek Lewis steamrolled him. Uh, this past weekend, Jarzinho Rosenstreich steamrolled him. So, like, how many times can you realistically, like, be willing to walk into the cage against someone who's 20 plus pounds heavier than you and get the same outcome, right? Like, like doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. So like, I don't know. I I just think it's the right move for him. I don't see what, like how that, at least trying it wouldn't be beneficial, but let's move on up to 
in my opinion, the superstar of the prelims on Saturday night, Raul Rosas Jr. The kid's 18. He probably had class this morning sitting, you know, at a school desk somewhere. And on Saturday night, he was the talk of the town uh, up until the main card started. But, I mean, an 18-year-old kid who, as I said earlier, you would expect to have some pre-fight jitters coming into that one. He's Mm -hmm. making the walk. He's wearing a sombrero. He's dancing. He's high-fiving the crowd. And he goes in there, and he gets uh, on um, – what was the guy's name that he was fighting? It's escaping me. He gets on Jay Perrin's back, and he submits him. He gets a finish. Like, this kid's the truth. He is real. Yeah. I would have loved to see him stand and strike a little bit more, but, I mean – We'll see it in time. We got so much. It's not like we don't have time with this kid, you know? Like, we're going to yeah. we're gonna see everything from him. He's 18 years old and already making his, not just UFC debut, pay-per-view debut. And he was the featured prelim as well. So, like, he's got yep. all like, all the publicity was on him, basically. That is a huge spot because you got to think there are so many people that were watching that for free on ESPN because they're not going to pay for the pay-per-view and then maybe did, like didn't even watch it. He just got so many eyes on him being in that spot. And yeah, like you said, no jitters whatsoever came in, looked amazing, ended up taking the bat, getting the submission, like sky's the limit for this kid. Yeah. And he, he really feels like one of those guys that we're going to see grow up in the UFC more so than anyone else in history. But like you think of all the guys that are, you know, 33, 34, 35 right now, and they've been fighting since they were 20, 21. Mm-hmm. This kid's 18 years old, and I fully expect to see him around for the next decade, if not longer. So, yeah. like, think think about if Raul like Charles Rosas, Oliveira, he, he came in the UFC at 21. Perfect example, yeah. But think about, and even Charles Oliveira kind of followed the same trajectory. Think about how young he is right now and how much he could still – learn in this sport through experience think about what raul rosas jr might look like in 10 years when he's 28 Mm -hmm. almost not even in his prime yet you know we always talk about the prime age for fighters being somewhere in your early 30s 30 to 33 ish um i mean this kid could be here for a long time and he could do a lot of special stuff and i think it's in the cards for him yeah i totally agree but that said Let's move on to this this uh, this main card. So uh, the the crazy, ridiculous, screw it parlay that we put out ten legs, cashed all the way through up until the main card opened. And not to say that I was on the edge of my seat just because we were five or six legs through, but I was feeling pretty good considering we had an underdog or two on the parlay and they had both already cashed. Um, but let's talk about how good Ilya Toporia looked. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, Bryce Mitchell came out today, I believe, and said he had the flu, probably should have pulled out of that fight. But to be quite honest, I, I don't see a world where even if Bryce Mitchell is healthy, he beats Ilya on Saturday night. And I almost don't see a world where if Ilya fights like he did on Saturday night, a lot of people in the featherweight division beat him. He looked unstoppable. Now, I won't put him all the way at the top. You know how I feel about Volk. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. He looked pretty damn unstoppable, and I would love to see him get one of these upper echelon fights. Because I mean, I, I know they're making a, a little BS little interim title for Josh Emmett, and who the fuck's Josh Emmett fighting? Yair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, I think come so. on, Yair, maybe. nobody. There's nobody who thinks those two should be fighting for a, a title right now. So. I mean, I would love to see Ilya start making some headway in this division. 
let's see him against you got Max Holloway should be open, Calvin Cater should be open, um Brian Ortega should be open. Like there's a lot of good guys in this division that it's now time for him to get that step up against, and I'd love to see it. Yeah, he needs a big name, right? And I even think, like, no disrespect to Josh Emmett, he's an ultra vet. Like, he's so crafty in the octagon. He's really good at what he does. But I would almost be willing to argue that if Ilya and Josh Emmett were matched up and Ilya fought like he did on Saturday, I think Ilya wins that fight. Oh, easily. I do, too. I, I think if he fights that way against a lot of guys, he wins. Calvin Cater? Uh yeah, Max Holloway, it'd be, it'd be tough. Like, it'd, He's it'd, just it'd, like, it'd just, he's the perfect fight. combination of power, speed, and takedown and grappling. defense. And he's got great grappling, too. If it that's, goes what the, that's what's underrated is he started his career 7-0, seven submissions. His grappling is beyond underrated. So the fact that he can stuff the takedowns of somebody else, and also if he's fighting a striker – can get the takedowns and the submission that's terrifying you he just yeah. didn't want to play this fight with bryce like that's the whole thing he just didn't want to fight that way well and he stuffed every single takedown bryce threw at him except mm-hmm. for maybe one but it, it, bryce was shooting from distance so it's not like they were hidden and he was having to really kind of dissect what's a takedown and what's a feint um but like some of these takedowns that he's uh, that he stuffed like Ilya is doing everything right from a technique standpoint, right? Like he throws the hip out there, almost makes Bryce just completely face plant into his hip, gets the top of his feet on the canvas and just slides and lets him run with it. Like, I don't care how deep in you are on a single. If someone's sprawling like that, you're not taking him down. It's impossible. Yeah. And like, like Bryce said, he was sick. So maybe that plays into, he doesn't have the power on the shots. He doesn't have all that, but I mean, I just don't yeah. think it matters. If Ilya's fighting like saying. that, I don't, I don't think it It didn't look like it mattered anyway. No, no, not at all. But let's keep on uh, going up the card here. I, I think uh, everyone in the fight world wanted to see Darren Till succeed this weekend. Uh, even though, the, Yeah, I know. Even though the fight didn't go his way, I think Darren Till doesn't lose any stock there because that first round, he just... Like, it was a, such a weird round. Like... Drikas gets on his back and starts just raining down shots. And Darren almost seemed more content to sit there and take him as long as he was telling the ref he was okay instead of defending. That's the whole thing. And trying uh-huh. to get up. Like, it was just a weird round the way that it played out. But You got to think he's told- hoping Drikas just gasses, though. Like, you got to think but he's, he did. he's willing to survive just to take the gas out. Yeah, but it, it, it almost worked completely in his favor because if you go into the second round, Drikas was gassed. Darren was mm. by far the fresher fighter. And Darren had his moments to where he could 100% win that fight in the second round. So um, Just didn't close I think, the show. Yeah, it just didn't go his way. And then I agree with Dana in the post-fight press conference. He said um, in that third round, he didn't think that the submission was necessarily what broke Darren Till and made him tap. That takedown from Drikas was pretty outrageous. Like mm-hmm. to pick Darren Till up and slam him that heavy. Well, like I think that broke him more than the submission. I think it was it was that, and it was the size and everything. And it was I agree with if you watch Drikas in the press conference, he says Darren Till cannot compete with with middleweights. He just he just can't compete at at this level against these guys. He's not big enough, and. In that third round, Drikas made him 
or let him know that basically with that takedown. Like he said, little man, I'm going to put you right where I want to put you. <laughs> and that's exactly yeah. what he did. Like he says, yeah. three rounds in, I'm going to pick your ass up and put you right here. And Dan, like Darren, Darren's got to cut. He, he's got to go back to 170. Yeah, yeah. It seems to be the He could be a champ at 170. I don't think he's a top 10 fighter at 185. No, and it sucks because I think when he first moved up to 185, everyone thought, like, man, this guy's going to go on a run because he looked so good at 185. And then all of a sudden he didn't. Like, mm-hmm. like his comp- his body composition looked good at 185, I, I guess I mean. People, um, people in the higher end of that weight class cut way too much weight. Paolo yeah. Costa, Alex Pajera, um, Drinkus Duplessis. Duplessis said he weighs 220 on fight night. He's fucking huge. I mean, that yeah, dude is huge. Like, it's the size discrepancy is just way, way, way too much. Darren, when he is in shape, can make 170. And that's what he should be doing. Yep, I completely agree. I completely agree. But yeah, so let's jump on in to um, Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Alex Morono. So, um, Almost called uh, it. I actually... I know, right? I actually was not keen to the fact that Alex Morona was taking this fight on five days' notice when we put this as a bet. Um, even though it was so obvious that Robbie Lawler pulled out, I just it did not cross my mind once for whatever reason. Um, but you called it. You were like, Morono is one of those guys that's sneaky in this division, and Jeff Neal, his teammate, just fought and beat Ponzinibbio, so the Fortis camp has more or less a blueprint for how to do it. And he was, what, three minutes, I think, away from pulling it off. He had mm-hmm. already banked two rounds going into yeah, the third easily, round. Easily won and, the first two. Yeah, and then like two and a half minutes into round three, he gets knocked out. I, I literally I looked at um, some of our friends that I was watching the card with when round three started. And I said, boys, we've already got two rounds in the books. We just need to survive. That's all we need. Because we also had a straight bet. One of our picks of the week was Morono. Yeah. Um, so all we need to do is survive. And that, we that's just, a lack we just of, couldn't do it. Yeah, and that's a lack of having a training camp. Like, like a chin is not just your chin. Like, it's not just like can you take a punch when you're in really good shape. You can you can hang in there a lot longer. Like guys that are in amazing shape, you almost never see get knocked out. You, I was gonna say Kamaru Usman, but he just did. You ah. never see. You never used to see. Jorge Masvidal it was one of those guys, never gets knocked out. Colby Covington doesn't really get knocked out. Like, these guys that have gas tanks, Darren Elkins, another one. Like, the, the guys that are known to go for days just don't get dropped. Max Holloway, another one. Like, they just – they don't go down. So, having only six days to prepare for this fight, sure, he had all the skill. He had all everything he needed to know about Ponzinibbio, and he banked it in for ten minutes. He didn't have anything left in him to even have a chin for the last five minutes. So and that, that's that's where it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and like we said, all we need to do is survive. Like, you, you don't necessarily have to go out there and fight your ass off and win round three, even though that seemed like what Morono was trying to do. But he had Ponzinibbio hurt several times throughout that fight and was just – he was doing exactly what he had to do. So to, to almost call that for a guy taking that fight on five days' notice is pretty impressive. And, and I, I feel like – even though that bet doesn't hit, we still got to feel pretty good about about the work that Morono did mm-hmm. at plus money. And I, it felt like a lot of our bets were that way, right? Like it seemed like a lot of our bets this weekend, uh, with the exception of maybe Bryce Mitchell, were so close to to hitting. Like 
Darren Till absolutely had his moments in the second round. Uh, Alex Morono had his moments throughout the fight and just needed to get two and a half minutes longer to win that fight. So, like, we were right there on a lot of these picks. It just didn't turn out our way. And that's just kind of the way fighting goes. You know, it is what it is. And, uh, it's a good transition into the next one because I refuse to believe this one shouldn't have gone our way. Like, and 91% of people, when you go to Verdict MMA, also agree with us that this one should have gone our way when we picked Jared Gordon to win this fight. And there's no way that you can ever justify giving Patty Pimblett the win here. It makes absolutely zero sense. You look at the global judging on Verdict, it makes absolutely zero sense that Patty wins this fight. I have no idea who gives Patty rounds one or three. Makes no sense. But most of the judges did give Patty round one. So, like, I, I, I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. Yeah. Well, and, and my big issue with this, and it's, I, like, to me, it's blatantly obvious Jared Gordon wins that fight. Like, that's that's cut and dry. There's no way Patty wins that fight. But my big issue, and it's not, the judges aren't Dana White, and Dana White isn't a judge. So this is kind of an unrelated thought. But when Dana got on the mic for the post-fight press conference, I took so much exception to a lot of the things that he said about that fight. Dana said, um, he, he goes, Jared Gordon had a terrible game plan going into round three. If you, bank, if you think you've already got two rounds in the bank, why would you go out there and just press this guy up against the cage and just try to survive and not go out there and try to win the fight? Well, I, yes, there is a little bit of merit to that. Like, sure, you'd want people to go out there and win the fight. That's an absolutely horrible take from Dana because he very well could have had rounds one and two in the bank. But he's not necessarily fighting like that. He's going out there in round three saying, all right, I've got to, like, I have to do my part to get control time. I'm going to go grapple. I'm going to go try to wrestle, get a few takedowns. And to me, even though that's not exciting, and I think Dana is upset about that because, oh, it's not exciting. Oh, oh my gosh, it's not trending on Twitter. Who gives a shit? Jared Gordon's doing what he has to do to go out there and win that fight. I don't care who you are. If you're a fighter, your job is not to go out there and to be exciting. Even though a lot of guys like Michael Chandler's of the world and some of those folks, like they take it upon themselves to be exciting. If you're a fighter, your job is not to go out there and be exciting. Your job is to go out there and win fights. And Jared Gordon did everything he had to do to win that fight, and he got absolutely robbed. Like if you had told me, you know, two, what was it, two months ago when the Peter Yan and Sean O'Malley fight happened, uh, which was a, a decision that I disagree with, even though going back and watching that fight, I think you can make a case that uh, O'Malley wins that fight. But I still to this day disagree with that decision. If you had told me following that fight that just wait, here in a couple months, there's going to be a judge's decision that's so much worse than what you just watched, I would have been shocked. And that's exactly what happened. Like that decision is one of the most brutal decisions I've ever seen as a fan of this sport. So here's something that really just needs to be looked at at this point. Like I know we're investigating, or not we, but I know the UFC and law enforcement, whatever, is investigating James Krause and all that kind of stuff. At what point are we going to investigate the judges? So there was a judge last night who, he was one of the judges who scored for Patty in rounds one and three. Yep, Doug this, Crosby. is. I already know what you're about to say. Doug Crosby yeah, is his name. This judge. Let's air it out. 48 hours ago, scored the Bellator. But less than that, 24 hours ago. That was, Bellator was Friday, UFC yeah, Saturday. Exa- I'm talking about for right now, from right now. 
But oh sure, yeah, yes, twenty four yeah. yeah, hours yeah, yeah. or less than twenty four hours before scoring the Patty Pimblet fight for Patty, he scored Danny Sabatello fifty forty five in a loss. That has never happened. There has never been a fifty forty five given in a loss, especially in a title fight. And this happened and he- less less than twenty four hours beforehand. Like. That is absolutely egregious. That that makes no sense at all. Yeah, and you want to know what the worst part about that Danny Sabatello fifty forty five and a loss is? There's I can I watched that fight, um, and there were probably two rounds that I can think of where I don't think Sabatello landed a punch. Like he didn't land one single punch. How in the hell do you give him both of those rounds? Let alone I, all five. It I makes have no, no sense. idea. It. Like some people say that some of these some of these judges are just doing it because they think it's what the promoter wants. You score rounds to stay in good graces of the promoter, not of the athletic commission, not of the fighters, but of the promoter. And I think that's exactly what this judge is. Like the fact that he was even allowed to judge makes no sense at all either. Like he, there, there was no reason he should have even been allowed to be judging that fight. Like, he, how do you have a clear head after flying, after judging who knows how many fights during Bellator the night before? Like, if referees and all these other sports have rules where they can't do back-to-backs, like, why why is this man allowed to fly across the country from Mohegan Sun to Las Vegas and judge another fight in a co-main yeah. event? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to me, there's one clear answer to the, the judge or the lack thereof, the bad judge issue that we have in MMA, and that's to use verdict. Verdict MMA seems to always get these fights right. If I'm watching a fight and I, in my head, I'm scoring it throughout the fight and we get to a decision and I say, oh, okay, I'm pretty certain that this fighter won the fight, whether they win or not, I pull up my phone, I go to Verdict MMA on Instagram, and 99.99% of the time, Verdict and I are in agreement. It feels like Verdict almost never gets a fight wrong. And they also weigh in a ton of different factors. They weigh in how competitive you were, even in a round that you lost. They weigh in the damage that you did. You might have lost three rounds in a five-round fight, but were you more dominant? Were you more aggressive? Did you do more damage in the two rounds that you won? And all of that stuff plays in. It's a way more inclusive scoring system than the 10-round bus system that we're used to here in the UFC uh, and, and boxing and, and all of these other combat sports. So to me, yeah. the clear answer to solving all of these issues with scoring and bad judging is to use verdict MMA. You absolutely cannot be sticking to a boxing 10-point scoring system. It's beyond different sport. It just doesn't make sense that we have an adapted rules based off of boxing. Like that's never made sense to me. And it's something that just has to be fixed at this point. Judges need better integrity. Our scoring system just needs to be better. Yeah. And, and just to, to touch on the verdict scorecard for the Patty and Jared Gordon fight, just cause like I respect verdict a lot. I've followed them for a while. I think they're great. Um, if you pull up verdict scorecard, they give Jared Gordon round one. They give Patty round two, but only just. They gave Patty round two by .02 points. So it's damn near an even round, but they mm-hmm. gave Patty just barely round two. And then they give Jared Gordon round three by a sizable margin, 
So it's it's a clear 29-28, if not a 30-27, depending on how you score round two. I'm just saying what verdict had. So, like, how on earth do three judges give a unanimous decision to Patty Pimblett? And, like, like it's it's not like, you know, fans out here are, are just mad because, like, oh, we scored it different. There's experts in this sport that are just as mad. Like, there's a video going around of someone taking a video from the crowd of the decision when it gets announced. And Joe Rogan's face when Bruce yeah. Buffer says Patty Pimblett says it all. Like, Joe's standing over there. He's, like, pretty certain Jared Gordon won. And they say Patty Pimblett. And Joe's just like, like. He's like, ooh, don't know about that I, one. Like, and even I was watching a, a clip that Daniel Cormier put out on his YouTube a little while ago talking with Ben Askren. And, and even Daniel Cormier said that Rogan came back to the desk after interviewing Patty and said, that kid believes you won all three rounds. He thought it wasn't even a close fight talking about Patty Pimblett. It's like, it's shocking that mm-hmm. Patty would think that. And, and like, I get some of it's the showmanship. You're trying to promote yourself. Yeah. If you're trying to be cocky and, you know, be who you are and who your personality is like, yeah, you'd probably say that on the mic, but like, I, I'm almost of the belief that Patty like truly believes in his mind that he won that fight and he won it handily. Like he needs a reality check. Like you're not right in the head. If you think you won that fight because you absolutely lost that fight. And that's not going to do him any justice either. Like I like the fighter that acknowledges like, damn, like that was a close fight. Like that, that was really tough. Like that was a lot more than I was expecting. And you learn in those instances. It's like, okay, I wasn't prepared for him to do blah, blah, blah. I wasn't prepared for blah, blah, blah. Like I know what to get better at now. It's like, if you don't actually think that and you don't actually see what you need to go back to the drawing board and, and fix, then how do you, how do you like expect to improve as a fighter? And like, I'm looking at the rankings right now. You want to talk about Patty Pimblett even touching the top 15? Like, f- fuck no. Like, <laughs> there, there's not chance. anybody in this top 15. Like, absolutely not. Put him against number 12, Demir Ismagulov. And let's see how Patty Pimblett looks after that. Like, I think he'll quit MMA. Like, there's no chance. Then you want to talk about the actual top 10. You're looking at Jalen Turner as the easiest guy. Like, you're screwed when you when you enter in the top 10. Like, this is a murderer's row. Patty has no chance. And even if he wants to lose some weight, go down to featherweight, no chance at all. Yeah, like, Patty's barking up the wrong tree with all this shit talk with Ilya. Like, it, it, Ilya brutalizes Patty, and he's a weight class below him. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. If, if nothing else, this fight just proved to the world that Patty Pimblett does not have what it takes – to be at the top of that division. Like, do I like Patty? Yeah. Do I, uh, do I enjoy watching him because he's entertaining? Yeah. But if he thinks that he's ever got a chance without making a drastic amount of changes in his game to be at the top of that division, like you're sorely mistaken. Like your chin is way too high up in the air. Every time you come into the pocket, his grappling honestly hasn't looked super spectacular. Um, And you just like, like, you mentioned Jalen Turner. He doesn't stand a chance against Jalen Turner, but obviously every fighter's goal is to go out there and win the title. You think Islam Makachev is going to fall to Patty Pimblett? No shot. You think Michael Chandler is going to fall to Patty Pimblett? No shot. You want to throw Dustin Poirier in there? He throttles Patty Pimblett too. Like he doesn't have a chance. Like he like no, there's there's no division in the UFC where Patty Pimblett is going to be at the top of the division anytime soon. Not not at all. I, I'm. I'm happy with him to just be a, a Nate Diaz type of fighter. Just be yeah, a he's going to be an entertainer. He's going to sell some pay-per-views. That's great. 
you know, make your money and get out, kid. Because if you don't get out soon enough, you're going to, like, be a vegetable, more or less. Like, totally he's just, agree. He just doesn't have it. But uh, I think that's a great transition into um, the main car, or the main event, I should say. Um, and you brought up a good point about, you know, you, everyone respects fighters that are humble more, that accept losses, um, you know, and, and just do their part to learn from their experiences in the octagon, which is something that we didn't see from Patty on Saturday. There's a guy that I don't think gets enough respect in the UFC for the way that he carries himself. And we saw it on Saturday night. And that man is Jan Blahovich. Okay. At the end of the main event, Jan Blahovich, uh, you know, they, they get the, the decision that it's a draw. And Ankalaev is pissed off and, you know, made some, some pretty weighty comments uh, when he was interviewing with Joe Rogan. Jan Blahovich walked over to Joe Rogan and said, Give Magomed Ankalaev the belt. He won that fight. Like, Imagine the balls it takes to do that on a pay-per-view in an arena with 30,000. Well, that's probably not too many, 20,000 people in it. Like Jan Blahovich has all the respect in the world for me. And then just couldn't be uh, a more polar opposite personality and a more polar opposite mentality uh, from a fighter than, than that of Patty Pimblett. But I digress. Let's talk about the fight. Um, I think I might be the only one that's able to talk about this fight because one of the two of us may or may not have fallen asleep before it happened. I mean, that, yeah. it's something just pissed me off about the Gordon fight, I guess. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. Yeah, no, I, I can't blame you. Um, I just I just dropped on the couch. <laughs> but realistically, with this main event, there, there's a lot to unpack. Um, I, I think it was a good fight, con uh, you know, contrary to what some people uh, in the UFC organization might have come out and said after the card. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. But... I thought both fighters had their chances to win that fight. I thought it was an exciting fight. Um, but really the thing that's kind of the question at hand is the scoring, right? So um, round one, super close round. Round two, I think Jan Blahovich wins that round. Round three, Jan Blahovich does a lot of damage, but Magomed Ankalaev lands a lot. So that's a tough round to score. Round four and five, Ankalaev is just absolutely dominant, right? So the rounds that are that are tough to score are one and three. The way I looked at it was uh, round one was super close, but Ankalaev landed a bunch of good kicks up the middle. I felt like he was a little bit more effective, a little bit more efficient, so I would have given round one to Ankalaev. I think Jan Blahovich wins round two. That's pretty obvious. Round three, Blahovich does great work with the leg kicks, uh, just a great game plan from him. And there were several moments in the third round where I thought Ankalaev wasn't going to be able to stand anymore, let alone continue this fight. So I thought he was basically done. But in that round, Ankalaev also landed a good amount. That said, I would still give round three to Jan based on damage. Round four, Ankalaev completely changes the game plan, overcomes the adversity, puts Jan on his back, and just grinds him out the rest of the round. I would have given that round to Magomed Ankalaev. So here we are. It's 2-2. Uh, it's going into the fifth round. Magomed Ankalaev does the same thing. Within 30 seconds, puts Jan on his back, starts raining down punches, raining down elbows, and uh, I think it was a pretty clear 10-8 round. So personally, I kind of go two ways on this, right? I think, at worst, it's a draw. I'm not mad about it being a draw. I think a draw is a fair decision. I, I, like, I can definitely see an argument where a draw is the right call. But I think... Round one goes to Ankalaev. I think round four goes to Ankalaev. And I think he gets a 10 8 in round five. So I also see an argument where Ankalaev wins that fight. Um, mm -hmm. But again, yeah. 
But again, the, the bigger issue at hand is not, you know, what was it a draw? Did Ankalaev win? It's the scoring. If you go back to verdict and you looked, there are so many rounds on the verdict scorecard that were completely different from what, uh, or not completely different, I shouldn't say, but uh, different from some of the judges. Like one judge scored it a draw, one judge scored it for Ankalaev, one judge scored it for Blahovich. The judge that scored it for Blahovich, I don't understand. I, I really don't. Like, I, I, I don't think it's fair to say Blahovich won that fight, especially with how it turned out in the fourth and fifth rounds. Um, but I think the bigger thing to talk about here, and this is something that you'll be able to speak to, Jake, even without watching the fight, and this is a tweet, or a, I think it was an Instagram post that I sent you the other day. What really made me mad about this was Dana in the post-fight press conference. I didn't think that fight was boring at all. I thought it was a, a really fun fight to watch. Uh, a lot of uh, different strategies employed between the leg kicks and the wrestling from Akalaev, which is something we haven't really seen from him before. But what made me mad was Dana saying immediately, that was a boring fight. The main event sucked. Just trashing, just, I mean, dragging both of these guys through the dirt after they just laid it all out there for the world to see. Um, and then immediately when he gets asked, you know, what's, what's kind of the, the, the situation with the, the light heavyweight division, he immediately comes out and says, you do Glover Teixeira versus Jamal Hill in Brazil. And that's not something we ever see from Dana. Anytime the night after a fight, Someone asked him about what's next for the division. Dana says, I don't oh, we'll see what fights. happens when we get there on Monday. I don't make fights the night of a fight. So that's weird. And yeah. Jamal Hill comes out today and says, the UFC called me so fast. Uh, I don't even think Uncle Ive and Blahovich were out of the cage when I was on the phone with the UFC hey, said, booking that fight. He said, he said he put down the phone, looked up, and Uncle Ive was about to walk out of the cage. It's ridiculous, right? So, like, like I hate that because – it really seemed like, and this was a, a post from Full Violence that I completely agree with, but that fight wasn't boring at all. But for Dana get up, to get up there and say that was a boring fight, let's move on from it and just throw both of these guys to the wind is so disrespectful because uh, how many of the big names in the sport have we seen have lackluster fights, right? I think the Full Violence post name He's never is, done this about Israel. Israel had several lackluster like appearances. So yeah, no, I mean, it did, 100%. Sucked. Yeah, but Dana never does that because those guys are stars. But you get two guys like Ankalaev and Blahovich who might not sell as many pay-per-views, and he does everything in his power to get them out of the picture as soon as he can and mm -hmm. get people who might be able to bring like a little bit more marketability to the fight game in that division. I yeah, hate it's like, that. oh, let's bring – I mean, I love it. Like, Glover deserves to have his time. And I love Jamal Hill, sell. too. Like, it's perfect, but yeah, it's just like you were saying. Let's move on from this, and let's try and now upsell this new one. It's like, yeah, cool, it's business, I get it. But yeah, it's disrespectful. Like, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but if you're a conspiracy theorist, and especially one that's not a fan of Dana White, it's pretty easy to make an argument that the co-main event and the main event were the best-case scenario for the company, and that the company was somehow involved in that. Right? It, it makes... No, it doesn't help the company financially at all if Jared Gordon wins that fight. I don't think it was a close fight, but the judges seem to think it was a close fight. They give it to Patty Pimblett. So wrong, but it makes all the sense in the world for the business, mm -hmm. for the UFC. Magomed doesn't help the business. Magomed doesn't help the business, and neither does Jan Blahovich. And somehow this Jan? fight gets called a draw, so both of them can be Jan? forced out of the picture. Jan like, kind of does. Jan's a good story for Yuri, because there's already the rivalry there with Yuri. 
And he's a great story with Glover. That's why it just never made sense that this fight happened to start with. I, I agree that this could have been, not conspiracy, but like. It's like interesting. Why, like, it raises, it raises it's some interesting. eyebrows. Because it's yeah. like, maybe at one point it's like, why did we even make this fight? It's like, not everybody wants to see Glover versus Jan. Like, that should have been the fight to make. Everyone just wants Glover getting this title shot. How, what are we going to do? Glover versus Magomed now? Like, no, that doesn't have anything. There's no setup to that. But yeah, nonetheless, I, I think the main thing that we learned from Saturday is Patty Pimblett not ready to take on the top uh, lightweights in the world. And I think we learned, above all else, that the judging situation really needs to get figured out because it's really unfortunate for a card trending in such a good direction like it was on Saturday. Tons of finishes. It, it just seemed like it had the makings of one of the best cards of the year. But it will go down in history as the card that was ruined by the judges. The, the mm -hmm. last two fights were just completely ruined by judging, in my opinion. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. So super unfortunate. But yeah. all in all, I, I think it was a fun card to watch. But it just sucks that it ended the way that it ended. I, I, I went home on Saturday just feeling really let down by the sport. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as a UFC fan, I feel like we pride ourselves in being the best combat sport in the world and being fans of the best organization that does combat sports in the world. And I really feel like they let us down. Who knows? Maybe this could be our turning point card. Like, maybe this could be the one that's like, wow, that was so fucking bad. They need to change something. So that's, I mean, yeah. that's, the only, that's the only hope we can really take from this. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope so. Let's hope this is, uh, turns into a positive, I guess, for mm -hmm. lack of better terms. But yeah, I think uh, that about wraps us up. Um, a lot to unpack there, a lot that just needed to be said. I feel like I would not have felt right unless we got on here and just talked about some things because mm. I had a lot to rant about, if you could not tell. For sure. Um, so I think the round six recaps are here to stay. I love talking about the cards after the fact, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you have a card like that. So We got a while um, with, till another. I know, I know. We got one more fight night this coming weekend. And then we're off for like three weeks. It's going to be a brutal three weeks. It's the worst. I specifically remember last year's when this happened. Like, I didn't know what to do with myself for two, three weekends in a row. It was awful. Yeah, well, lock in because we're here for it. It's going to yep. happen. So it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Maybe Bare Knuckle or someone will have a, a card that we can go and just binge for a little bit. Need but it. Without, without further ado, I think that about wraps us up here. That's another edition of the Round 6 Recap. Make sure you go follow us on Instagram. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube page. This will be posted on Spotify when this comes out tomorrow. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We hope you love the content. Let us know what content you guys would want to see. Shoot us a DM on Instagram. We'll probably put out a poll sometime before the new year just trying to figure out what you guys are, are wanting to watch more of and, and hear more of as far as our takes go. But nonetheless, that's another edition of the Round 6 Recap. For me and Jake, you guys have a good one.